This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandering people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to your In Good Company's Founder Series. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie Dicker. Hello Maddie Guest, how are we today? We are good, we... Oh. Today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> just for some context, we're recording this intro after we've just finished this episode with the yeah. lovely Kate Morris. So Kate Morris, if you somehow don't already know, is the founder of Adore Beauty and is now also the founder of her very own private equity fund, Glow Capital. And I think this conversation was just fulfilling because there's so many incredible experiences that she has gone through and I think she really imparts a lot of knowledge and lessons that we could all learn from, whether a founder or not, mm. you know, being a female in whatever space you're in. It was a very fulfilling chat. She is really doing a lot now with her time and with her energy to try and, I guess, change the experiences that she has had for the future and for women who come after her. And I think for you and I as two people who work in the finance space, which she in private equity is now in, I think it was a really, yeah, a, a great conversation and like it gives us a lot of excitement for the future. So with that, we'll jump into it. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me. How exciting. Now we're starting the same way this series by asking our founders, what is your drink of choice? Are we talking like... Anything. Alcoholic drink? Anything. Oh, We've had okay. someone say water. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's that would be a sensible answer. I would say, okay, if it's before midday, then um, yes, I have to have like tea first and then coffee yeah, okay. in the morning. But yes, if we're talking after 5pm, I'm pretty partial to a to a champagne, to be honest. Stunning. Mm, yeah. Me too. Love I do love bubbles. It yeah. just tastes like celebration and it happiness. It just tastes like happy. Don't you want to be happy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, favourite book? Favourite book. Oh, this feels like sort of pick your favourite child. I, I, <laughs> I read a fair bit, so I don't think I could pick one favourite, but I go, how about I do favourite this year? Yes, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> it's only been three months. Let's sure. do that. Well, yeah, I've, I've, I've been tuning through them. Um, no, my favourite so far, I think, has been 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Bergman. I'm reading that currently. Oh, so it good. Just, it was the very first book I read for the year and it just kind of low-key blew my mind mm. in terms of it was not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm actually glad that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be because I thought it was going to be like all about, you know, sort of productivity and how to get as yeah. much done as you can yeah, in, yeah. Four, in the 4,000 weeks that you're likely to be alive. And it wasn't about that at all. It was about how do you actually not do 
all of the things that are yeah. just, you know, sort of soaking up the time that you have on this earth and how do you prioritise what's really and truly important to your life and it just, yeah, it really um, was a really good start to the year, I think. Yeah, I had um, my house, my old housemate come to me after reading that book and being like, do you know you only get 4,000 weeks on this earth? And I'm like, that's like a lot of weeks. And he was like, <laughs> it doesn't sound like that much. Oh, and I'm no. like, to me, that sounds like so long. No, I no, think that no. sounds well, I just, small. Well, it does sound small. And I think like I just turned 45 and so I was like, oh, <laughs> like I've already had more than half yeah. of them. That's really, uh. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of gruesome to think about it that way. But then also very liberating, I think, mm. to, to sort of go, oh, well, if I don't yeah. have that much time, then I should stop actually trying to just, you know, be a little bit more productive and jam a few more things in. You actually have to just stop doing things and that's that's actually the better path to productivity is to, or what are all the things that you are going to not do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And do you have like a favourite TikTok or Instagram account that you just like personally love and you just feel should be shared to the world? Look, I think... Can I pick two? Yeah, go for them. Okay. Can one of them be the Adore Beauty account? Of course. <laughs> I'll get in such trouble it is, if I it's don't It's a great it. one. Yeah, no, okay. Actually, the other one that I really love at the moment is um, she's a she's a fashion designer, Amy Smilovic, and she she designs the label Tibi, T-I-B-I. Mm. And um, just the way that she breaks down style and, yeah. you know, how to feel sort of, uh, you know, confident in what you wear kind of regardless of what you might look like or or yeah. you know how old you are or anything like that it's um I actually just really love the way that she approaches it and I just it's one of the ones where it's like okay I always make sure that if there's a you know she's new in stories and I'll then I'll watch that she's great nice we'll add that one so that the listeners can get onto that yeah so Kate Adore Beauty has been described before as the 20 year overnight success mm. can you take us back sort of around 20 years ago to the it's early 23 days. 23 years. Can you take 23 <laughs> years COVID ago. COVID doesn't Amazing. count. COVID does does not count. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> you that it does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the early days, how, how did Adore Beauty sort of come to be? What was the inspiration? How did you start? So it was back when I was a uni student actually and I had moved to Melbourne from Tasmania to go to uni and had to kind of pay my way through uni and so my part-time job happened to be on the Clarence counter and you know wearing this fabulous kind of white outfit and yeah. with like a red karate say, belt and pretty red great shoes. job back in the day like very stylish oh, it was very so in much fun spot. yeah it was so much fun and I loved it but the thing that I noticed was that the customers were not having as much fun as I was having <laughs> they were walking in they're going oh god these, these scary women they're gonna like upsell things to me and they've got sales targets and which we did and and it's just not a very pleasant experience for the customer. And it was sort of about that time. Like online shopping was not really a thing at this point. Like this yeah. is like 1999, pre-broadband, pre-smartphone, pre-Facebook. Mm. You know, this is it's a little bit prehistoric. But um, there was no such, you know, well, in Australia, not a lot of online shopping around and no beauty available at this point. And to me it was I could sort of see what was happening in the U.S., and going, oh, well, look, somebody somebody needs to do that here because actually I think there's a whole bunch of things about the shopping experience for beauty that we could make really different and actually more fun because to mm. my way of thinking, the whole point of shopping for beauty products is that, you know, it's 
it's a self-care category. You're yes. doing it to feel good. You're not doing it necessarily to look a, to look a different way. You're, it should be you're a doing positive it to feel experience. it. It should be a positive yeah. experience. If it is not a positive experience, something is wrong. Yeah. Um, and to my way of thinking, okay, well, how could you change that experience for a whole bunch of people all at once? I mean, yeah, you could open a store that was different, but how could you do it for sort of the whole country? And to me, it just sort of seemed obvious that somebody needed to do that for beauty here uh, in Australia and um, I guess, yeah, I decided that, you know, <laughs> young and stupid age of 21 that that should be me. I was going to say, so you were, you know, a uni student in your early 20s, yeah. I guess, was the vision that it would be what it is today, you know, this massive, successful online beauty company? Because that's like, it's a pretty big thing to be thinking about when you're so yeah. young. And Look, I don't think I would have... I mean, if you had told me, like, how big it would be now, I would have, like, spat my lunch out. I would mm. have just said, like, what, you know, you were, what are you smoking? <laughs> <laughs> but also, too, at the same time, you believe that that's going to work. I mean, to me, it, yeah. was, it was like, oh, no, people, people would definitely like this better in a lot of ways. True. And we could be, um, you know, we could be so much more transparent in terms of the ingredients and explaining to people what they did. And we mm. could be so much more accepting of the fact that, you know, uh, we didn't need to judge people for, for how they looked. I, I would talk to so many customers at the counters who would be like, oh, gosh, I hate coming here because I feel like you're all kind of like giving me the side eye about my crow's feet and, mm. and really people would feel more comfortable to be shopping, you know, in their pyjamas at 10 o'clock at night, yeah. when, you know, like after the kids have gone to bed when they have time yeah. rather yeah. than thinking, oh, goodness, I need to put on something decent so I can go into the shops and I'm going to have to drag my kids with me and it's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. Like for me, it was it was kind of obvious that it would work, but you know, had I envisioned the extent to which it would work, probably not. So, from your time working at Clarence, yeah. did like what was the evolution? Did you think like, all right, I'm going to put some money behind this and I'm going to set up a website, or what was kind of your first step? Uh, yeah, well, it was like, okay, well, if I want a website that sells beauty products, I'm going to need a website and I'm going to need some beauty products. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Two main ingredients. It's not rocket science. Um, <laughs> and so back then, back then there was no there was no Shopify or kind of you know quick and easy way to get an e-commerce website up and running. Everything had to be built from scratch. So I needed to go and find somebody who could build an e-commerce website. Which in 1999 there were not yeah wow. many places. Um, managed to find somebody who thought that they could build one for me despite never having actually built one. Stunning. Um, and then, yeah, had to, oh, seriously. More young confidence, I love it. Well, you've got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. It's, it's uh, and then... And then, yes, it's, okay, right, well, what, what products would I want to sell? What do I think is good and that I would be happy to you know, happy to recommend to people and um, that I felt represented, you know, good value for money. And I was sort of focusing initially on Australian brands because I felt that they were kind of a bit underrepresented and and that there were some really good things there that people didn't know about. And so, yeah, sort of went out there and started approaching beauty brands and got rejected by pretty much all but two of them. But but two said yes and so it's like, all right, great, well, I've got a website and I've got two brands on there and that's enough to get started. Can you give us some insight into what that conversation looked like when you were going out to brands to try and pitch them this idea? Because I imagine a lot of these beauty brands would have 
had a lot of their sort of identity wrapped up in or success wrapped up in their sort of in-person experiences Correct. and that maybe their stores and then here yes. you are trying to say, let me put it online. So yeah. what, what did that conversation actually sound like? <laughs> well, if you can imagine, <laughs> yes, me rocking up to these kind of, you know, big international beauty brands and saying, hey, I'm 21 and I have no money or business experience, <laughs> but let me disrupt the entire way you do everything. Yeah, let me tell you how you should sell yeah, your products. Yeah, they loved it. <laughs> they did not love it. No, they were like, no, well, that's not, no, uh, we Nobody is going to want to buy premium beauty products online. Mm. We are certainly not going to have our premium beauty products online. This is not a thing. The internet is a fad. Go away, please. <laughs> My God, that would have been and some really of them stressful. were nice about it and some of them were not nice about yeah. it. And also in 1999, this is something that Maddie brought up in discussion yesterday when we were just chatting, like just after that there was the kind of tech bubble burst. Yep. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of those people that rejected you would have been like, uh-huh, see, we were right, <laughs> the internet's a fad. The internet is a fad, yes, and it's all going to go away now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I guess if we put ourselves in those shoes, the, the dot-com bubble sort of did burst sort of early 2000s. Yes. You were, had, had just recently sort of started your own company that was very uh-huh. based on being on the internet. Yeah. What was that like? Because I think a lot of people who maybe have started companies in the last couple of years or have raised money or are thinking about starting a company now, maybe would be finding themselves in, I mean, a very different but similar situation with how the economy is tracking at the moment. I think it's not dissimilar at all. Um, To me, honestly, I didn't actually think all that much about it because it was really only affecting businesses that had raised a huge amount of capital with Mm. the assumption that this was all just going to go woof and take take off overnight. And so they had, you know, teams of people and huge big offices and giant warehouses and invested in, you know, this this huge, you know, this onslaught of online shopping that was about to happen. And of course, what we know now is that it just took a long time. Yeah. It wasn't that it didn't happen. It just took a long time. It, but for me, it was just me in my garage. It didn't make any difference to me. I didn't have, you know, do you know what I mean? There was no, you know, kind of valuation disparity that I was struggling with. I had not raised, you know, any capital aside from borrowing $12,000 from my boyfriend's dad. Which we need to go into, by the way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, it didn't really affect me. And I think fundamentally, and, and it's the same for anybody now is that building a business model that works uh, and is sustainable is kind of, you know, that gets you out of out of a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, revenue solves most problems, and so I think. But uh, you know, there are because there are ways that you can sort of invest in growth in a negative interest rate environment that you can't do in a you know an environment where interest rates are, you know, sort of three, four, five percent. There are things that just kind of don't work anymore. But but in the end, if you are building a business where the unit economics are sound and you have customers that like your product and will continue to come back and buy it, whether that product is software or, you know, lipsticks. Yeah. Um that still works. Yeah. So did you build your business model in that way? Like you mentioned that you started with that $12,000. Did yeah. you buy just a select few products yeah. only to that amount of money, waited till they and sold? And replenish stock and once I sold them and, yeah, so it always had to be cash flow positive. Yeah. Yeah. Very Which, strong business model. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it has pros and cons, right? Like it's very sustainable in the sense that no amount of, you know, dot-com and boom and bust can really impact you very much. Um, it is a slow way to go about it, 
uh, it is a very disciplined way to go about it. So it's basically I just never spent money on anything unless I was really sure of the return. Mm. Um, but there was a certain point in the trajectory of the business where that actually didn't make sense anymore and there were things that I needed to be able to invest in that I knew I wasn't going to see the return of for, you know, might take 12 or 18 months for that to really kick in. And and that was when we actually needed to raise capital for the first time but that wasn't until like 14 years in. Yeah, I was going to say I've listened to you speak on podcasts before about how like you kind of had this like 10-year slog of like trying to get things to take off. Was there kind of a moment that things started to really change and was that because of like, you know, consumers being more aware of the internet or buying online or was it other reasons? I was – there was never a moment. It was a thing that just gradually happened. Yeah. And then it did start to accelerate I would say – yeah, probably around 14 years in, but it was, wow. it, was, it was 14 years. It was a long time. Patience. Yeah. So at that 14-year mark, you raised capital for Correct. the business. Yes. And how was that process raising capital as a, you know, female founder in kind of a, I guess, when we talk about raising capital, there's no real rule book. I mean, you can get advisors and you can get advice, but it's quite sure. a complicated sometimes scary process. How was that experience for you? Well, it depends... Oh, look, I I never went through the whole kind of like venture capital stage, mainly because there was not, there wasn't even, well, a venture capital scene in Australia didn't really even exist until mm. what, 2010 or something like mm. that. And, and my business was never the sort of business that VC was really interested in anyway. So I just sort of skipped that part, um, went straight to a strategic investor. So it was actually Woolworths uh, was our first sort of partner, they came in um, like as a minority shareholder and then bought them back after two years because it wasn't really kind of going where, you know, we had originally envisaged that it was going to go and then it wasn't really until 2019 that we actually had like a financial partner in the business. It's a long progression. It's a long time. (laughs) Did you have mentors or people help you in that period in terms of the capital raising process or was that something that you were able to sort of educate yourself on? How did you go about that? Uh, yes, I did have I did have mentors at that point. Mm. Um, so I had a, um, a fantastic woman that I met, uh, gosh, I can't even remember how, but um, yes, Jane McKellar, she was amazing and so she helped with that process and was was able to you know kind of guide us through that to some extent um I think mentors generally I didn't really have any for like in the early years of the business not really um I would say later on Mm. more so yeah how important is that do you think if as you know a founder if someone's listening sort of trying to grow their business yeah certainly makes things easier yeah. uh, if you've got people whose brains you can pick. I think I do see I do see people sometimes getting a bit caught up in it. You know, I don't have a mentor. Will you be my mentor? And yeah. it's, it's like kind of really sort of formalising a relationship. And Well, I don't know. It's just I find it a bit weird. I do, I do get people, you know, who will contact me sort of like out of nowhere. I don't even know them and they'll say, mm. you know, will you be my mentor? And... and 
And to my way of thinking, it's it's the way that I always approached it is if I had a question or a problem that I didn't know how to solve, I would go and ask a bunch of different people for advice about this specific problem. Yeah. And because when you have, you know, busy people who potentially could be helping a lot of other people or could be using their time in any number of different ways, it's more sort of productive for everybody. If it's like, I actually, I really just need help with this particular problem. Mm. I know you have experience doing that. What, you know, what should, what do you think I should do or how should I be thinking about X, Y, Z or how do you think about X, Y and Z? Um, and so I've kind of always approached it that way and so it ends up being kind of more of like um, kind of a symbol, a bit of a brain's trust, you know, yeah. rather than one person whose job it is to help you with everything. I think that's often, that's sort of often a lot a lot to ask of of somebody who's more experienced than you but also they might not be the best person to ask for mm. every single thing, right? Like it's it's... You know, sometimes I'll have people ask me about, you know, kind of like really early stage stuff now and it's like, oh, goodness, you know, like my business, like that was 23 years ago, the suite of tools (laughs) that you can use now, it's not the same. I am not the best person to ask for that. There are other people who have more recent and relevant experience in those sorts of early stages. I do want to go back to it before I forget. Let's talk about asking your partner's dad for money in the early days. How did that conversation go? How did it come about? So I'd been talking about, you know, this this sort of idea for a, a beauty website for ages and, yes, my boyfriend at the time, his dad's name was Bob and he was the only... <laughs> so classic Australian, like asking Bob for some money, you know? <laughs> yeah, and he was the only person I knew that had, you know, run a business. My mm-hmm. family was not, you know, entrepreneurial or, or business-oriented at all. My parents were both social workers and academics and mm-hmm. so they'd didn't know and and Bob ran a motel and so he like just which is small business and um, I'd been talking about this idea and he said oh well if you want to put together a business plan I'll have a look and so I went and borrowed you know how to write a business plan for dummies or whatever it was (laughs) out of the library at uni and wrote something up and you know kind of pitched it and he said all right well I'll I'll lend you the money and, um, you know, wrote up a bit of a loan document and um, and kind of handed me the cheque and said, look, you know what, this is going to be a really good experience for you. You're going to learn a lot. Yeah. So I think he fully expected to sort of do his dough at that yeah. point. But I thought, you know, what an unbelievable thing actually. Like when I think back on that and it's like, you know, that was a lot of money yeah. for a small business person running a motel to loan me who'd never done anything you know never run a business business. before I was a uni student um uh, but I think you know what tremendous permission to just go out there and and learn through making mistakes and Mm. risk failure and all of those things I think that's actually really genuinely amazing did you have to also work on the side like was this a full-time gig from the get-go when you got that check or did you also have to work on the side to fund yourself because I think with a lot of the conversations we have with our community it's people mm. have these side hustles and they're always like I don't know when to take it to that next step they're yeah. worried about yeah. financial insecurity yeah. was that something that you also Legit. You dealt with yeah absolutely I was very poor for a long time yeah uh so because I was still studying back then I was and because I was you know I was from Tasmania and I wasn't living you know with my parents I was living away from home um I was able to get what was it called back then, you know, Oz Study or something like that. It was, it was so yeah. very little money but you were able to like trade in half of it and they would put it on your hex debt or, or whatever it was. Interesting. So I lived off almost nothing 
for I'd say yeah, a good a good two years before being able to pay myself wow. anything. So I like to call them the meagering years. <laughs> you know, those little packet, packet yeah. noodles, the indomie noodles. Yeah, I love that. I still like those. Yeah. No nutritional value you back at all. To the days yeah, of- it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a miracle I didn't get scurvy or something. Right. There's a great story about how uh, it took you 16 years to get Estee Lauder yeah. on board for Adore Beauty. It was 14 years, but 14. still, it's a long Sorry, time. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> give me some credit. Gosh, it's a long time. Any tips for founders who? I guess, feel like they're hitting a roadblock or, you know, really trying to take their business to the next level and are just struggling to do that? Oh, look, I'm stubborn to a fault. I think so for me it's, it's very hard to give up. So I would just, I would kind of, you know, poke and prod and attack the situation from any number of different angles um you know uh, if someone just closed a door in my face I would start you know casing the house <laughs> looking for windows that might be ajar you know it's it's I guess the thing that I would think about now with the you know the wisdom of experience is that sometimes if everybody is saying no to you then you there are signals that maybe you have to accept that you know perhaps this might not be the time. Mm. Um, and look, if I think about that, I think, okay, probably a door was 10 years too early. Mm. Uh, but, you know, do I regret that at this point? Well, no, it was 10 I mean, it was 10 years of, of slog um, without really any reward at that point. Uh, but... But it also gave gave me time to be able to do things without having raised capital because yeah. the, the way that I see it is that, you know, kind of money and time are the two kind of, you know, levers that you have to pull. Mm-hmm. If you have more money, you can do things faster. If you don't have any money, it's just going to take longer. And so for me it just took longer so it was kind of okay that it was 10 years too soon. But, oh, do I have tips? Look, I guess. <laughs> No is not a no. Keep no is not a no. Like my general philosophy is that everybody says yes eventually. Yeah. Uh, and particularly the more that you can start to show momentum and traction. And I just got very good at, you know, manoeuvring my way around objections and problem solving and and just building relationships because the way that I saw it is was that all of these brands were going to come on board eventually. Yeah. And so it was just important for actually for me to be able to help them on that journey because to understand where they were coming from, the most important thing they have is the brand equity of something that they've built up over many, many years. And so why should they just trust me with that straight off? And and that was something, you know, their trust was something that we needed to earn. And so to continue to show them more and more evidence over time um, to build up that trust so that when they were ready, when it was time for them, I would be standing right there uh, and that would that would be the obvious first step for them to take into, you know, the world of, of online. And it, that just takes different lengths of time yeah. for everybody and so it's just a timing thing. So I have a question about this. I want to get on to um, Glow Capital Partners in a second. Sure. I was actually speaking to a friend yesterday who he has just started listening to the podcast and this founder series and he was like, you know, I've got so many ideas but I think like the time has passed or like I don't think it's the right time. 
in your experience, because you just mentioned that maybe you were two, 10 years too early with Adore Beauty, yeah. is timing the most crucial element or is it, uh, is it really about the idea and a good business does really have a place in society in some respect? Because I think through a lot of the conversations I have, people always say that. They're like, I feel like I missed the boat or like it's not my right time to do this or I don't feel you know financially secure enough. Like in your mind, what do you think it is? Uh, I do think timing really is important. Yeah. I think it's really, really important, uh, and particularly for ideas that require a lot of capital up, capital up front. Yeah. So we certainly saw that, you know, in the first dot-com boom, right, where people who you – know, it wasn't that the idea was bad, it's just the timing was not right to invest huge amounts of money in it. And I was okay because I was in a garage and it was fine. Mm. Uh, but all of those people who invested in e-commerce back then, the idea was not dumb. Those businesses had a right to exist, but they just – didn't have a right to exist with those cost structures. Yeah. So I think, I think that again, that that time and money um, equation is something that's really, really important. Is this a thing that needs to exist right now? Mm. Uh, you know, and and if so, does that make sense to invest a lot of money in it right now? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I do also think, though, people use timing as an excuse a whole bunch of the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my time. Oh, it's not my time. Oh, I'm not ready. Oh, I don't feel I need to go and do this course first or I need to go and be more financially secure. It's like, you know what, it's never going to be a good time. Mm. It is a terrifying and genuinely risky thing to do. Do you want to do it or not? Mm. It's not. It's not ever going to be a great time. It's about action. It's about action. It's about action. And honestly, I think... Yeah, it's, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of cliches around that in terms of, you know, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, <laughs> whatever it is. It's like, you know, but it's true. I, don't know that one. <laughs> I just, I think um, the idea is is one small thing, but actually in the end, the execution and timing um, are much bigger chunks of it. But you've got to, you've got to be willing, you've got to be willing to do it. So it's, yeah. A lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it might be a lot of work for maybe no reward ever or maybe a very long time before it. It's, so the way that I think about it is that the people who need to start businesses, it's when, you know, it's the kind of idea, the right idea is the idea that lodges itself in your soul and you can't think about anything else. You have to do it. Yeah. And that's the right idea. Uh, where you're, you know, where it's just, it becomes, and, and I see this with founders, the ones who are able to stick at it through whatever that journey throws at them are the ones who are really doing their life's work. Like there is, there is, there is something burning inside mm. of them that means that they have to do this. They have to see it happen. They have to make it real. Um, whereas the ones who are like, oh, I feel like I would like to start a business, but I just haven't thought of the idea yet or, mm. you know, I'm just not sure if it's the right time. It's like, yep, you know what, it's probably the right answer. It's probably not the right time. I can lift, you know, if you cannot bear to not be doing this, then do it. Well, that rounds out our first part, our first episode of the two-part series with Kate Morris. Next week we are going to be bringing you the second part, which is full of many lessons around the private equity world talking about glow capital we will speak with you next week 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.